Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm your host, Frank, and this is another, the fifth one of my first looks for the player cards of the Scarlet Keys Investigator expansion for players of Arkham Horror, the card game, the living card game. We have two factions left, Rogue and Survivor. Rogue has an odd number of letters in its name, and Survivor has an even number, so if I roll odd on my little random number generator dice here, we will be doing Rogue, and if I roll even, we'll be doing Survivor. Let's see what we get. Odd. Rogue is odd, so we're doing Rogue. That was a three, by the way. Grab the cards. Grab some customizable sheets. Fortunately, that does give me a clue as to one of the customizable cards, the one I don't know. And we can dive in. I'll just pull up my sheet as well to see who previewed what. So we begin with Kaimani Jones, who is the rogue investigator. Quick reminder, for the investigator, I'm not going to go into loads of detail about them. And for the customizable cards, I'm probably going to save that for a more detailed exploration later. But other than that, I'll be first looking as normal. So Kaimani Jones is the security consultant. They've got three willpower, two intellect, two combat and five agility. They're criminal traded. Free trigger, engage an exhausted enemy at your location. Important word there, exhausted enemy. Reaction, when you attempt to evade an exhausted non-elite enemy, add your intellect to your skill value for this attempt. If you succeed by at least X, discard that enemy. X is that enemy's remaining health. Elder sign effect plus one, if there is an exhausted enemy at your location, you automatically succeed instead. This doesn't belong to you. 8 health, 6 sanity. So in our first impressions of Scarlet Key's episode that came out a little while ago, Peter and I had played Daryl and Kaimani, and we talked a little bit about our impressions. So I said some of my impressions of playing Kaimani in that episode, and I feel like I'd be slightly rehashing when I talk about that, because, yeah, we talk a little bit about the stat line, it's a defensive stat line with three and five in the defensive stats. It's interesting to try and make them investigative with only two intellect, although Rogue obviously has some tricks around using agility or adding agility. It's also interesting given they have an enemy management ability printed on them, but only two combat. So they have a way of dealing with enemies baked in, but they might not want to necessarily be going into weapons. Although I think there is an argument for them being pretty good at wielding different kinds of weapons and boosting their combat and being a dedicated enemy management character. For the ability itself, you're going to need some way of exhausting enemies and you then get a free trigger to engage that enemy. And the reason why you might want to engage an exhausted enemy is, of course, if you evade an enemy, that's the most common way to exhaust an enemy, it exhausts and it disengages from you. So there's these sort of two parts of what a successful evade is. It's both exhausted and disengaged. And obviously, when you try and evade an enemy, you need to normally be engaged with it. So you need a way of re-engaging. It's very nice that Kaimani gets given essentially a free action every turn, although it's a free trigger, to re-engage exhausted enemies. Because otherwise, evading exhausted enemies to try and trigger their reaction ability would be very time-consuming. So yeah, so that's the nuts and bolts of Kaimani. As a solo investigator, I think they're very strong because we do have ways of getting clues in Rogue reliably. Rogue is one of the better factions, I'd say, for getting clues. And they've got quite defensive stats, which is nice. And they have five agility out of the gate, which is great. They can evade till the cows come home. But also they've got a way of dealing with enemies. So you evade a cultist with doom on it. You want to then kill it. You can use the ability. You see a VP enemy. No, that would discard it. So yeah, not for VP. You'd want other options for VP enemies. But certainly for cultists or other or hunter enemies is the other good example. You want to stop them being a bother. You essentially invest two actions early on to get rid of them. Flipping them over. Deck size of 30. Deck building is rogue 0 to 5, tool 0 to 4, and neutral 0 to 5. Now in the cards we've previewed, I've not looked too hard for tools. I don't think we've seen too many either. Rogue, the mystic cards are all item and charm, mostly. Item and relic, ritual, ally witch. Yeah, so none there. Tools in the seeker cards, 
you did see at least one, the dissection tools. After an enemy at your location is defeated, place one resource. So Kaimani could run dissection tools. That could be interesting. The Grim Memoir is a tome. Research notes is a tome. Lab clothes is item clothing science. Press pass is item charm. The surgical kit is item tool science. So Kaimani could also take surgical kit as a possibility. And fingerprint kit. Wow, for the plus two, that's not bad. Fingerprint kit level four. And then finally in Guardian, we I mean, we barely got any <laughs> cards, did, did we? Any assets? Runic axe isn't a tool. It's the hunter's armor. No, it's item armor. Bestow resolve. No. Field agent. No. Guard dog. No. Handcuffs. No. That's it. So we've not actually, I was wondering if I've missed a lot of tools as we've done the other first looks. But I don't think we have missed too many so far. But it's something definitely worth keeping an eye on. We did a little bit of talking about tools when we previewed the tool belt. So you can go and listen to that episode as well. But suffice to say, there is quite an interesting mixture. Some of them are around investigating, but there are also weapons that are tools. And it seems like weapon tools, sometimes they don't even give them the trait weapon. So it's a way of having a damage dealing thing that can't be found by prepared for the worst and so on. And neutral cards, zero to five. Deck building requirements, grappling hook, agent Fletcher, one random basic weakness, and bonus experience. You begin the campaign with five additional experience. So Kaimani is also a little bit like Mateo and Parallel. What's that investigator called? Can't remember. But yeah, there's the extra experience there, which is lovely. So let's take a look at the grappling hook. It's a three cost asset, intellect, agility and wild icons, item and tool. Kaimani Jones deck only. Actions performed using grappling hook do not provoke attacks of opportunity. Okay. Double action, exhaust grappling hook. Take up to three different basic actions from the following list in any order. Engage, evade, investigate, or move. If you investigate, use your agility instead of your intellect. Takes up a hand slot. So I can spend two actions to get three actions. Those three actions need to be engage, evade, investigate, or move. And they need to be different as well. I can't just go move, move, move. It says take up to three different basic actions. They also need to be basic actions, so it can't be investigate with lockpicks. But conveniently, I do get to add my agility. I get to use my agility rather than my intellect if I use this to investigate. So straight away, I think there's a nice option here for using the grappling hook to do what Kaimani does already, only better. I could, for instance, investigate where I am, move to a location with another enemy and evade them. And that would be two actions. And then as a free trigger, I engage that exhausted enemy and try and evade it again with my final action and get rid of it. Also, I could decide I'm not going to evade. and I could just engage an enemy off me, move away, investigate for two actions. That would be helping out my team, say. And because I'm not provoking a tax opportunity doing that, it adds a lot of scope, a little bit like on the lamb in Schizo Tool for repositioning enemies if we want to do that for making progress when you haven't yet dealt with enemies for generally letting enemies hang around i think it's really nice because it's a tool if you run tool belt kaimani in theory you could put this away if you don't need it or you could be juggling other tools out of the way or something like that and kaimani's weakness is agent fletcher two fight three health and three evade humanoid coterie and detective treated coterie and Fletcher does have a red tie, so I'm imagining that's related. Alert and Hunter. Prey Kaimani Jones only. While Kaimani Jones is evading Agent Fletcher, reduce their intellect value to zero. I know who you really are, Jones. Hit for a damage and a horror. I've noticed a couple of people ask why does that matter about intellect to zero. Of course, it doesn't matter for just basic evasion unless you're playing, say, slip away and trying to add your intellect. But it does matter for when you're trying to use Kaimani Jones' reaction ability. For the reaction ability, you want to evade, adding your intellect to your agility. So Kaimani's a 7, but while evading Agent Fletcher, Kaimani is only a 5. And if you're hoping to discard Agent Fletcher by doing that, you're going to need to pull a plus 1 or better, or an Elder Sign, in fact. So very unlikely that you're going to be able to do it unless you've boosted your agility in some way. And also, if your plan has been, I'm going to boost my intellect, that's not going to work against Agent Fletcher. 
It feels to me, with a fight of two and three health, that Kaimani running backstab is a thing to do. You could then backstab Agent Fletcher, you'd be a five on two, and it would be a one-stop shop in terms of dealing with Agent Fletcher. I can also see maybe running some weaponry. It seems like fighting might be the better way to go with Agent Fletcher. Although, simply evading the agent, you're at two up, and if you decide you're just not going to kill the agent, that's okay, because the Agent Fletcher doesn't actually punish you doing anything else. It only says while Kaimani Jones is evading Agent Fletcher, reduce their intellect to zero. So you can go on being Kaimani Jones and doing Kaimani Jones things happily if you can get the agent off you. I mean, with Grappling Hook, you could do it with the agent engaged with you and still not trigger a tax opportunity. So all told, I don't think they're too problematic a weakness. Maybe a nuisance more than a completely shut down your style. And it'll be interesting to see what people include as solutions for that. Our first customizable is Damning Testimony. And this was announced by us, Drawn to the Flame. It was one of our early cards to announce. So it's customizable. It uses three evidence. It's item and illicit traded. It's a four cost asset with an intellect icon. And it has an action. Exhaust Damning Testimony and choose an enemy at any location. Investigate your location. If you succeed, you may spend one evidence to discover one additional clue at the chosen enemy's location. Takes up a hand slot. Now, I've pointed out that customizable cards at level zero are maybe a little bit weaker than the average, and I would say that Damning Testimony is one of the ones that isn't particularly weaker. This is a four-cost card that essentially gets you three extra clues. That's on a par with Fingerprint Kid. The only differences being one, you don't get any kind of boost to your intellect. And two, you do need an enemy at a location and you're getting a clue from their location. So where that's a little bit tricksy is early in the game, you walk into a two-eye location. There are two clues there. If there aren't any enemies there, Damning Testimony is not going to do anything for you. But beyond that, I think it's pretty nice, even at level zero. And obviously there are some rogues with a nice intellect. I'm thinking of Trish, I'm thinking of Finn, sitting at intellect four that they'll be going, yeah, sure, I can make this work. It's upgrades. For 1 XP search warrant, while investigating using damning testimony, you may ignore any effect or keyword on the investigator location that would trigger. For 2 XP fabricated evidence, damning testimony enters play with two additional evidence on it. For 2 XP blackmail, you get plus 2 intellect while investigating using damning testimony. Nice buff to the card. For 3 XP extort, when you successfully investigate using damning testimony, you may spend one evidence to automatically evade the chosen enemy. 3xp surveil, you may use damning testimony's ability to investigate the chosen enemy's location instead of your location, so suddenly you're getting two clues at range. And finally, 4xp expose, when you successfully investigate using damning testimony, you may spend X evidence to discard the chosen enemy if it's non-elite, X is that enemy's remaining health. So with fabricated evidence, it comes in with five evidence. And with expose, you could just be using this as weirdly an enemy management solution rather than a clue solution. And people have pointed out that this is an item that takes up a hand slot. So you could be slight of handing it out and (laughs) using that as a way of dealing with enemies, which is a wild way of dealing with enemies. I won't go into any more detail about all of these because we did a whole episode about it. And hopefully that's something that would be interesting to listeners. So yeah, go check it out. Next, we have Friends in Low Places, which was announced by Miskatonic University Radio. Shout out to them for all of the great previews they did over preview season. This is a zero-cost event with intellect and agility icons. It's favor-treated, it's customizable, and when you purchase Friends in Low Places, choose and record a trait on its upgrade sheet. Now, There's a funny one here because there's a later card, I think, in Survivor that was previewed that also gets you to pick a trait. One of them cares about encounter cards more and the other cares about player cards. So it would be funny if, for instance, I chose Monster for my trait and then (laughs) the ability of Friends of Low Places is look at the top six cards of your deck. For each look that card with the chosen traits, you may spend one resource to add that card to your hand, shuffle the remaining cards into your deck. Pleasure doing business with you, Miss O'Banion. I don't think that's Charlie in the art, someone with a moustache, but it gives me Charlie vibes anyway. So you pick a trait, so, so we could pick, say, trick, 
or insight or weapon, you know, item <laughs> could be a trait. There's a lot of traits out there. Ally is another trait. Let's see how we can customize this. Well, so at the base level, in theory, we could look at six cards and we could pay six resources to add six cards to our hand if all six had the traits. So this is a, a zero cost event that is potentially pay six, draw six. It's unlikely to be that way, but it's worth noting that this, a little bit like Captivating Discovery, what I like about it is it's draw as many of the thing as you want, as long as you've hit some. So yeah, say we did this with Insight and you see three Insight events, you may spend one resource to add each Insight card to your hand and you can choose. So maybe you're fishing for a particular card and you only spend one, you could end up spending three. Worth noting it is pay one, draw one, in the scheme of things. So if you just want to use friends in low places as a draw card, there are much better things out there. I wouldn't think of it as that. So instead, we've got to think of it in this sort of selective way of picking and choosing what we want. And maybe there are specific cards with specific traits that you're hunting for. In Rogue, the, another trait that could be fun is, say, Gambit, if you're doing any kind of skill-related thing. And I can almost see this... I mean, there's two ways of approaching this. There's one including this card and then looking what traits you want. But then the other way of doing it, of course, is building specifically a trait style deck and using this in that. Final trait that jumps out to me, this is favor traded. Of course, the favors are in Rogue and are a thing. This could be a way of fetching more favors. And if you're playing favors, you're probably rich. So you probably don't care about paying to get more favors. Right, upgrades. There's a spot for writing in your chosen trait. Then for one XP, you can be helpful. When you play Friends in Low Places, you may choose another investigator at your location to resolve its effects. This is funky because obviously you're looking for trait overlap between investigators. Versatile for 2 XP, choose another trait. When you play Friends in Low Places, you may choose one of the looked at cards with both chosen traits to add to your hand without spending one resource. This is where talking about this card gets tricky because we need to know about cards that have overlapping traits that you can then fetch. Importantly, it's only one card that you can do that. So were you to see six cards with the same two traits, you can't add all six. One you get for free. Also notable, you don't get to pick either or for the traits. The card has to have both for you to get it for free. Another 2xp bolstering. Each card added to your hand by friends in low places gains a wild icon until the end of the phase. This is where I'm thinking if you're using it for fetching I don't know, innate or practiced or gambit, some of the skill card traits that could be particularly useful because I don't know if I want to pay one to draw an event or an asset that I just want to commit. I might want to if it's duplicates, I suppose. 2xp clever. Instead of shuffling the remaining cards into your deck, you may place each of them on top of your deck in any order. I mean, that I think is really cool <laughs> that this suddenly is a look at six, pick up to six depending on the traits, but also stack the rest of your deck. It feels very roguish. Another 2xp prompt. Friends in low places gains fast and play during any free trigger window. That's a nice step up as well. Suddenly fetch what you need. And maybe with prompt and bolstering, if you're using this to suddenly commit to tests, that's a really nice 4xp way of doing it. For 3xp experienced, increase the number of looked at cards looked at by three. So this is now search nine. And then finally, 3xp swift. You may play one of the cards added to your hand, paying its cost. I see two lines developing in this card. And as I said before, I'm not going to go too detailed into customizables. One, as I said, is the skill card thing. Fetch loads of skill cards, commit them with extra wild icons. There's another option here where using swift to get a card to play, maybe clever to stack your deck, uh, maybe doing double trait things and... I think they're two separate builds, but I think they're both quite enticing. And our final customizable is Honed Instinct. It's a one-cost event with an agility icon. The art is of a man. Oh, his hand isn't. He's like zooming to reach the, the holster by his side. It's Gambit traded. Well, I was just mentioning Gambit. Customizable fast. Play only after one of the following conditions is met. The agenda or act advances you succeed at a skill test by three or more. Immediately take an action as if it were your turn, max once per round. 
okay, so I advance the act, pay one, immediately get an action. Or I pass the test by three or more, which is a common rogue occurrence, immediately get an action. Now, there are three copies of Honed Instinct here, which is intriguing. Let's see how it customizes. There are five 1xp ones. They look like they all add other conditions. And then there are three other ones. So the 1xp ones, reflex response, add the following play condition. You take damage or horror. Okay. Situational awareness, add the following play condition. A location enters play or is revealed. That's very nice. Killer instinct, add the following play condition. An enemy engages you. That's very nice. Gut reaction. Add the following play condition. A treachery enters your threat area. Wow. And finally, muscle memory. Add the following play condition. <laughs> you play an asset. I mean, I feel like even succeed a skill test by three or more is common enough. Think about in Winnie when you might be putting in two skills to, to per test. And sometimes you just pull a zero and you pass by a lot. Likewise, if you're lockpicking, that can happen a lot. That's a thing. But... Certainly a location enters player is revealed is very common. You play an asset feels very common to me. So there's lots of options. And the nice thing is that Honed Instinct cares only about one condition. So even if I just added one more condition, I'd potentially have, say, five or six possible times for it to trigger in a scenario, which feels nice. And then the three other upgrades for 2xp sharpened talent. During the action granted by Honed Instinct, you get plus two to each of your skills. Okay, nice. Nice, but not necessarily vital, but still nice. Three XP Impulse Control. You may include up to three copies of Honed Instinct in your deck, and it gets minus one cost. Wow. So that that's lovely, I think. Three copies, three cards to give you three extra actions. And they, they cost less. And then finally, for five XP, Force of Habit. When you play Honed Instinct, you may take two actions instead of one, one at a time, then remove it from the game. Now, straight away, you know what I'm going for. I wonder if you do a Friends in Low Places Honed Instinct deck with Gambit as the trait you write for Friends in Low Places. If you're making Impulse Control and the Friends in Low Places are zero, I don't think I'm paying one to add them to my hand. What other things am I adding to Friends in Low Places with that? Probably clever, probably prompt to make friends in low places fast, maybe experienced. And for honed instinct, I'm adding impulse control. Maybe I'm adding sharpened talent, but I'm not sure. Or maybe just impulse control, force of habit. That's 8 XP. <laughs> the, the XP racks up rapidly on these customizables, doesn't it? You start by like, oh, well, I'd like this and I'd like that. And then suddenly you realize that you've put 16 XP into two cards in your deck. So while we're thinking about it, let's have a look at that trait gambit and just see if I'm barking up the right tree or not. Yeah, so practice makes perfect. That's gambit. Act of desperation, belly of the beast, fend off last chance of the survivor ones. And in rogue, we've got you owe me one, 21 or bust, daring maneuver, money talks, swift reflexes, watch this, calculated risks, it's coming up and copycat. So not too many actually. I was thinking of quick thinking, but that's just innate. Looks like maybe the rogue cards are spread quite carefully over different traits, the rogue skills anyway. I, I still think you could make Gambit work. That's nice. That's a nice tasty card, I think. I like extra actions, and I think this is a nice way of adding more extra actions. Who doesn't like extra actions? It's nice to see flavorful ways of them adding them. Okay, now we have a sextet of cards that were all announced. Shout out to, in this order, Reddit, Obscure Studies, Mythos Busters, Obscure Studies, Winging It, and Reddit. Weird little <laughs> double hits there for Obscure Studies and Reddit, but shout out to all of those channels, apart from Mythos Busters, who we will curse their name forever. So first we have Disguise. This is a three-cost asset with an agility icon. Talent, Trick, and Elicit. Well, Elicit is another great trait to shout out with friends in low places. It uses four supplies. Action spender supply evade. You get plus two agility for this evasion attempt if you succeed and the evading enemy is non-elite. It does not ready during the next upkeep phase. I tried this in my Kaimani deck and I really loved it. It's sort of the fingerprint kit for evading. Three cost for four evades. Each one at plus two is really nice. And the non-readying ability is super cool. 
The only other way I think you can get that in Rogue is from Slip Away, although I could be forgetting something else. And you need to succeed by two or by one, depending on the level of your Slip Away. So it's not a definite thing. Having this just be a definite thing if you succeed, it's really cool. Kaimani might not be the best fit for Disguise, because one of the things Kaimani does when they've evaded someone is then potentially engage and kill them. So there's a little bit of a tension between the ability on Disguise and Kaimani's ability. But that being said, I think this could find a home in lots of rogues. Rogues normally have high agility. Often when I'm playing solo, I'm using agility as my main way of dealing with enemies. And to be able to evade an enemy and not worry about it for two turns rather than one is fantastic. Really nice card. I really hope there's an upgraded version of it. Let's see as we go on. Next is Embezzled Treasure. This is a zero cost asset with an intellect icon. It's item and illicit traded. The art is beautiful treasure in a chest. Free trigger, exhaust embezzled treasure. Move up to two resources from your resource pool to embezzled treasure to a maximum of 10 resources on it. Forced, when you resign or the game ends, for every two resources on embezzled treasure, an investigator of your choice begins the next scenario of the campaign with one additional resource in their resource pool. Let me just go through that again so I can get my head around it. Over five turns, I can exhaust embezzled treasure and put two, 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 two up to ten. It doesn't have to be five turns in a row, just throughout the scenario. When I resign or the game ends, four every two, so let's say we put eight on it, an investigator of your choice begins the next scenario with one additional resource in their resource pool. So as the rogue or the person playing this, I'm turning every two of my resources into one resource for anyone at the start of the next scenario. If, as I said, we put eight on this, that means everyone could start with one more resource next scenario. Or there could be someone really struggling. We just give them four extra resources next scenario. Or I could just give myself four extra resources next scenario. So I'd have a real bump if I'm doing some kind of rich rogue style where I want to start with more. It's a really nice way of chaining, I think, the rich rogue style rather than starting from five every single scenario. You use the value you've accumulated and the spare resources in air quotes to then make sure you kickstart the next scenario at a high amount as well. We've talked over the years about how rogues have lots of ways to get rich. Now I think more than ever they do with Faustian Bargain, Lone Wolf, investments maybe, with different tricks, with hot streaks, with watch this. There's so many different ways of generating resources in rogue and one of the things that you would then do is, do you just have a massive pool of resources for the sake of it? Do you play favours because you can spend down? Do you play Lola and Delilah and spend for clues and damage? Or do you turn some of those resources to starting every future scenario with more resources? And yeah, you could do quite happily. I like the fact that it doesn't just be you that gets the next resources, the next scenario. I like that you have a choice. There might be some reason why you want to change. Say the Guardian, you know there's a scenario where the Guardian's going to have loads they want to play, and then the next scenario, it's not needed as much. I think that's really cool that there's the choice. That's There should be a drinking game for how many times I say choice is important in this game, but it is. It is. There was something else I was going to say, but I've forgotten it now. Oh, maybe just the only the only drawback here is that obviously this is something that doesn't help you at all once you've played it so you have this down but it's just it's a distraction from the main goal of get clues defeat enemies finish scenario and there's a possibility that you have it down early and you're feeling rich and you're putting resources on it and then you think damn i i want to get i need those resources or ah how do i get those resources back or I need to discard a card to a crypt chill or some other effect, and this is going to be the thing I lose. And, of course, if you see this later than the last five turns of the game, you're not going to be able to get up to ten, So because it exhausts. You could run two copies and be hella rich. Oh, another day, another dollar. That was the other thing in, in mind. I'm really fond of that as a permanent. I think that's really good. And this is a, a pseudo another day, another dollar that you can share out with people. Next, we have Thieves' Kit. This is a three-cost asset with an intellect item, item tool, and illicit. An intellect icon, item tool, and illicit. Uses six supplies. Action, spend one supply, investigate. 
You may use agility instead of intellect for this investigation. If you succeed, gain one resource. Why do I keep these on me? Why? To be better informed regarding the unsavoury methods of art thieves, of course. And it takes up a hand slot. It is the art of lots of little tools, and of course that means Mauro Dalbo has done the art, and they've done a great job. It looks really lovely. Lockpicks, eat your heart out. This is competition for lockpicks. This is just a straight use agility instead of in, uh, combine agility and intellect, but also you gain resources. Importantly, it doesn't exhaust. So I play this down and I can start investigating using agility. Winnie loves it. Kaimani loves it. Potentially any of our four agility investigators love it, like Skids. I can see, however, Finn and Trish not caring as much because they have four intellect. But also Safina might love it because she also has four agility. If you're running somewhere boosting agility, building your agility up like the moon, it just makes this even better. And there's also this possibility of why not both, of run lockpicks and run thieves kit and pick and choose which you use. Do you need more resources? You use thieves kit. Is it a high shroud location? You use lockpicks. You could even use both in the same turn because lockpicks exhausts and thieves kits doesn't. Yeah, it's just lovely. It's just another piece in the puzzle. What rogues like to do is crack on with the business of the scenario and get rich doing so. And this fits that so nicely. Next is the hidden pocket doesn't seem that hidden it's just the art is just it in a pocket it's pixeloid studios the new kid on the block this is a one cost event intellect and agility icons it's upgrade and illicit traded fast play only during your turn attached to a clothing or armor asset you control attached asset gains you have one additional hand or accessory slot your choice which can only be used to hold an illicit asset thanks it has pockets fantastic flavor Obscure Studies, I think, did a great job talking through this card, so I would definitely recommend going and checking out Davi's blog on it. The thing I really love about this is the weirdness of that footwear is clothing traded currently, so you could have a hidden pocket on your track shoes, I believe, which is just weird but cool. I guess you have a gun in your track shoes. It's a kind of fiddly way of getting an extra slot, but I like that in Rogue. I think that's a cool way of doing that. So you need some clothing or armor like a leather jacket or, you know, your track shoes or, or hiking boots. And once you have it, you then pay one, quickly put this on and you've gained another slot. Slot pressure, these two slots, hand or accessory, I would say are very contested in Rogue now. Between weapons, thieves get lock picks, maybe a signature. There's a lot that goes into Rogue hands. And then for the accessory slot... Obviously, Lucky Cigarette Case is popular, and that means then that crowds out Crystallizer, uh, Spooky Skull, other rogue accessories that you might want to consider putting in that slot. Uh, is it Eye of the Gin that's accessory? Eye of the Gin Hand and Lucky Penny accessory. Can't remember which way around it is. Anyway, there's another accessory there as well. So yeah, there's, there's lots to put in that slot. Oh, and of course... Not all rogues are just taking rogues, so they might have something from another faction that they want to include. And actually gaining an accessory slot, I think, is, is really nice. Of course, that card has to be illicit, but we'll talk about ways of making a card illicit in a moment. Next is Hit and Run. This is a one-cost event with combat and agility icons. It's tactic and trick traded. There are quite a few cards that double up on those two tactics. That's another target for friends in low places, the double tactic and trick. It reads fast, play only during your turn. Put an ally asset from your hand into play. At the end of your turn, if that asset is still in play, return it to your hand. Impeccable timing, Mr. Fergus. This is the sleight of hand for allies, which is lovely. It's particularly nice, I think, because you can do things like hit and run into calling in favours and use the ally its ability for coming into play and then also bump it into hand to play another ability, another ally which I think is really cool, or you can just put an ally into play and it soaks for you or something like that if you just really need to soak hits. I think it's really cool. I think it's a reason maybe to run Rogue in Charlie to get access to this card. It's a really nice card as well as Rogue Economy to fuel what Charlie's doing. I imagine there are other shenanigans that you can do in terms of playing Lolo Delilah and then using their ability and then letting them bounce to hand if you just desperately need that clue or that damage. You don't have the time to get them down. 
you could also do some cheeky stuff with this and with the mercenaries, right? Get a mercenary for the turn and then not have to worry about paying its forced effect. I need to check when their forced effect triggers. I think it's at the end of the turn as well. Treasure Hunter is at the end of upkeep. You must either pay one resource or discard Treasure Hunter. So you pay one with hit and run. Out comes the Treasure Hunter or the Hired Muscle. You get the stat boost for the turn and the soak. And then they come back to hand. It's like a, a slightly like the way Leo Anderson interacts with them, just without the upkeep penalty, which is nice. I think it's a cute card, and I'm looking forward to seeing how people pull off all sorts of interesting shenanigans with it. Next is I'll Take That. This is a zero-cost event with intellect and agility icons. Trick, upgrade, and elicit. Fast, play when you successfully evade a humanoid enemy or successfully investigate. Both, I think, are common things to happen. Play an item asset from your hand, reducing its cost by X, where X is the amount you succeeded by. Attach, I'll take that to that asset. Attached asset gains elicit. Now, this is what I was alluding to with the hidden pocket. You have one additional hand or accessory slot, your choice, which can only be used to hold an illicit asset. So you could have put the hidden pocket in play and then evade a humanoid enemy, succeed by a load to play an item from your hand, making it illicit so it would sit in the hidden pocket, which I think is pretty nice. The art is smooth looking guy. It looks like skids and there's someone else checking their pockets. I first thought that the skids style character was the thief, but maybe it's the person at the back. It's hard to tell. I know he's holding a poker chip between his fingers. I think he's being very slick. Anyway, this is another kind of finicky rogue card. I like this style developing around Illicit, that it's not just some more weapons, but it's these tricksy things. You can create a slot using an Illicit card. You can also play an item asset by successfully evading or successfully investigating. And the item asset is cheapened, which is nice. You know, Even if it didn't have attached asset gains Illicit, it's nonetheless useful. So I like how this style of rogue is developing. And again, like what I said for Thieves' Kit, this idea that you're getting rewarded for doing what you should be doing anyway. I'm already thinking about invading enemies and I'm investigating. And this is like, oh, and I'll also play assets for doing that. I think it's just really nice in terms of progress. Wow. Alexander Karsh with the art for kicking the hornet's nest. Well, that was our run of six announced cards, and we're going to go into another couple of announced cards, but we have an unannounced one sneaking in here. It's a zero-cost event with intellect and combat icons, Gambit and Tactic. Hey, Gambit. Search the top nine cards of the encounter deck for a non-elite enemy and spawn it engaged with you instead of its normal spawn location. This is on the hunt for rogues. Then discover one clue at your location and gain X resources where X is that enemy's health value. Shuffle the encounter deck. Wow. For a zero-cost card, I pick a non-elite enemy, it is engaged with me, I get a clue, and I get X resources where X is their health. I would happily kick the hornet's nest all day. If I were to pick a humanoid enemy, I could be thinking of I'll take thatting them. I think that's the only thing so far. I mean, if I have disguise, I then evade that enemy and they sit down. And that's lovely. I guess you might not want to do this if you're revealing a Doom enemy, but otherwise, pretty great. It sort of incentivizes you going for the beefiest enemy, which I guess if you're running this in Kaimani, they're then going to struggle to use their ability to remove that enemy. But maybe they have a low evade value, so that's all right. Maybe they're an enemy that you can evade and just leave. So that's kind of cool. This, lovely. What a, what a nice way of changing up on the hunt, but for rogues. Ah, I see the error of my ways. This is You play this as an action. I've read this as though it's like on the hunt, that it replaces your encounter draw. It doesn't. This is as well as your encounter draw. So, sorry, I went straight to thinking, oh, it's the same as on the hunt. But of course, the difference is I draw my card in Mythos, whatever it is, and then my first action, I then kick the hornet's nest and go fetch another action. So it's not that I get a clue and resources as part of my mythos phase it's as well as that reduces its power somewhat funny how my brain just straight away thought it was on the hunt but it's not so yeah um that limits it slightly at which point i think i'd be looking for a three health or better enemy because then i'm 
getting three resources. So this is at least a cache and a clue, which is the nice part. And then I do need to deal with that enemy. So that's where time gets taken up, I suppose. If Gambit was a card I chose with friends in low paces, uh, the trait, and if I had chosen Swift, I could, and Prompt actually, so that would be 5 XP. Prompt means that friends in low places is fast, and Swift means I can play one of the cards added to my hand. So that means I could pay one, grab Kicking the Hornet's Nest, immediately go get an enemy, and all of that doesn't take an action, and I get a clue, and then I've still got my actions left to deal with that enemy. Nice, cool card, really fun, really flavorful. We've seen lots of things in Rogue about them caring about having enemies around, like Damning Testimony, and this is a way of actively fetching an enemy, which I like, and making money for doing so. Next is Quick Getaway. This was previewed by Mythos Busters. Two agility icons, two cost event. It's trick traded, fast, play when an enemy attacks you, evade, attempt to evade the attacking enemy. If you succeed, cancel that enemy's attack. And that's not a replacement effect. So you would also get the successful effects of an evade, exhaust and disengage. It's out of sight, but never out of mind. And it's a chap in an old car being chased by a night gaunt. I like this. I think the danger with this is you play this on an alert enemy. You fail the evade, and that means you get hit by the attack that you were trying to cancel, and you get hit by alert and you're in a hole. But other than that, I think it's sort of lovely. It's a little bit like a dodge, but it's a dodge with a test but it's the kind of test that most rogues would like to take. It's trick-traded, so Rita can take it as well. I think she likes that as well. Rita can often take that dodge tank role of having enemies on her, and agility is definitely her best stat. The other thing about it is this doesn't care what kind of an attack it is. It could be a retaliate that you're cancelling. It could be an attack of opportunity. It could be attack in the enemy phase. So that's nice as well to have a range of cancellation there. The comparable, I think, is Narrow Escape. And Narrow Escape was only attacks of opportunity. Yeah, play when an enemy makes an attack of opportunity against you. You don't have to take a test with Narrow Escape. You don't pay anything. And you get plus two for the next skill test. But you lose the flexibility of cancelling and evading. And I think really you need to think of Quick Wet Getaway as do I want to compress and evade on top of another action? So I might try and play a card, take an attack of opportunity, play quick getaway, which potentially gets me an evade and a cancel. And as long as I feel like I can do that instead of just evading, I've got the extra action compressed into it. I've said before, one of the pitfalls of solo is if your turn is evade, investigate, move, and maybe play a card, you can't do that easily in three actions. So having ways of getting all of your actions compressed is really nice. And again, actually, Quick Getaway does that, and also I'll Take That does that. So you have ways of of doing that. Even Kicking the Hornet's Nest is a way of drawing an enemy to allow you to then enable compressing lots of different things together, which I think is cool. Next is Calculated Risk. This was announced by the Whisperer in Darkness. I've tried this card in my Kaimani deck. It's a 0 XP skill with no icons. Max one committed per skill test, it's Gambit and Fated treated. Commit only to a test you're performing of any type, and only if it's your turn. So it's very controlled. Calculated Risk gains a wild icon for each action you've performed this turn, including this one. After this test ends, end your turn. So it joins the Fated suite, and it is a way of having many, many icons on a card, should you want them. Without any extra actions, if you play this last action, you get three three wild. So straight away it's pretty good. And it's a nice way of landing your succeed by X at the end of a turn, if that's what you're trying to do. Strikingly though, because it ends your turn, if you're trying to do any succeed by X stuff where you chain actions together, you're going to be in this slight awkward zone of, you know, say you want to succeed by X to ready a weapon or do extra damage or whatever it is that all kind of gets stopped. But it's still useful for enabling, say, watch this, for enabling nimble, there are other effects, or even as Kaimani for making sure that you pass by enough to discard an enemy on your last action. So I think that's really nice. We've seen in Finn, which I think is the last time I played Payday, it's so easy to get to four actions 
actually as well when I play in Tony I often end up on five or six actions because Tony has an extra action and then quick thinking might trigger or Derringer might trigger with an extra action and so on and so forth you also could factor in running Leo or many of the other extra action generation in Rogue seems pretty good even actually with Honed Instinct if you're succeeding by three you're playing Honed Instinct does Honed Instinct care about being played on your turn? no so you could calculated risk last action get a load of wild, succeed by three, and then play Honed Instinct to take an extra action even though your turn has ended. That's a nice little one too. We're into the upgrades. There's a few of these. And our first is Stylish Coat. Two cost, one XP asset with an agility icon. Item and clothing traded, so the hidden pocket will interact with this. Takes up the body slot, and it has a one health and one sanity soak. Dress for the job you want, you say. What if the job I want is yours? Hmm, threatening. Reaction. When you gain one or more resources during your turn via another player card effect, exhaust stylish coat, gain one additional resource. Wow, okay. So this is slightly a hidden pocket enabler. It's a cheap enough asset that you might put a hidden pocket on to get another slot. You're probably not taking damage or horror on it because it would be destroyed immediately. But it's also a wealthy rogue enabler. Gain one or more resources during your turn via another player. Yeah, so if I play a cash, I get an extra resource. Play a hot streak, I get an extra resource. Pretty nice. Yeah. It turns Lone Wolf into gain two every turn. Is that right? That seems exceptionally generous. Yeah, reaction when your turn begins. And then when you gain one or more resources during your turn. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Stylish coat Lone Wolf. Off by yourself getting three resources a turn just as a base. That's pretty nice. I think that would be really fun to try just as a style. <laughs> just really rich. In Jenny, you're getting four resources a turn. Man. Next is the long expected and hoped for. Wow, here it is. Chuck Fergus, the downgrade. Chuck Fergus level two, the Obanian driver. Four cost, two XP, combat and agility icons. So I think he's lost a wild icon. He's lost three XP. Was he three cost at five XP? I think so. Ally and criminal traded. When you play a reaction, when you play a tactical trick event, exhaust Chuck Fergus, choose one. That event gains fast. That event costs two fewer resources to play. You get plus two skill value while performing a skill test during the resolution of that event. It used to be choose two on Chuck. So I think it's simply gone to choose one. I think all of those abilities are the same though. And he has two health and two sanity soak and takes up an ally slot. So yeah, that's. I think he's costs one more and he only gives you one ability per turn. Strikingly, for two XP, this opens him up as possible for Leo, as a possible for Dexter, as a possible for Wendy. Hmm. Wendy might be running tricks. That's nice. Tactics might be Leo's bag as well particularly actually with some of the later tactics that could fit in quite nicely. I think this one-two punch tactic and spirit might be. Yeah, funnily enough, I've just been talking about Chuck Fergus. I've been running the level five version in Kaimani. This is a nice stepping stone card. Sometimes I can't find two things to choose of the abilities, but that's very rare. So I think I might find this card frustrating to play because I'd want two and you only get one. The powerful one I believe is giving cards fast although i also think obviously saving resources is great and the plus two skill value in succeed by is particularly apt particularly with all of those events that care about how much you succeed by to return them to hand so yeah i think it could be frustrating to not be able to get two but other than that i think that's a nice nice downgrade yeah and yeah opening up options is is very tasty and next we have Dirty Fighting. Look at the art on that from Lin Xiang. They did the art, I think, for Lily as well, didn't they? Three cost, two XP asset with a combat icon. Talent, trick, and illicit. Limit one per investigator. While attacking, parlaying, or attempting to evade an exhausted enemy, you get plus two skill value. Ooh, okay. Super nice for Kaimani straight away. Reaction after you evade an enemy... Exhaust dirty fighting, take a fight action against that enemy, ignore the aloof keyword for this attack. 
Wow. Hmm. Okay. You probably want a way of exhausting enemies regularly. So you're probably running this in a high agility rogue. Probably not running it in Leo Anderson. The fascinating thing here is I read the first section while attacking, parlaying or attempting to evade an exhausted enemy, you get plus two skill value as definitely a Kaimani thing because of the attempting to evade an exhausted enemy. But the reaction ability here is when you evade, you get a fight. So that is in itself fascinating that I probably don't want to fight with a combat of two, but I might want some sort of weapon to give me a fight in Kaimani. Other investigators like Skids O'Toole or Finn Edwards or even Winifred Habermock all have combats of three, so they might like that a bit more. And it, yeah, it's nice that it is an extra action as well. So it's another action I'm going to evade and then I get an extra action to fight. And of course, that fight I'm going to get plus two because they'll be exhausted. So those two abilities combo really nicely. Yeah, pretty cool. I love the art on it. I think it's really good. Yeah, I like it. It's good. Now we are going to see coming up Underworld Market that cares about illicit cards. So that could be a nice include. Okay, next we have Breaking and Entering. Miskatonic University Radio announced this. This is the upgrade to Breaking and Entering. Two cost, two XP, intellect and agility icons. It's trick traded. Investigate. Add your agility value to your skill value for this investigation. If you succeed by one or more, you may automatically evade an enemy at this location. If you succeed by three or more, return breaking and entering to your hand at the end of your turn. This attack does not provoke a tax opportunity. If you're careful, it's just entering. The level zero card is amazing, and this is really nice that it's repeatable. The fact that it's amazing is you're using an investigate test to evade an enemy, and that means that you could be dealing with a high evade enemy, but be at a low shroud location. And again, it's compressing multiple things. Rogues aren't as good as Seekers or Guardians are either getting lots of clues at once, although obviously Pilfer exists, or doing lots of damage at once, although Backstab exists. What we see more and more in Rogue is that they're able to do lots of different things combined. So we talked about it already with I'll Take That, where by evading or investigating, you also get to play an item. What else did we see it with? We saw it with, well, Dirty Fighting, Evade Becomes a Fight. We saw it with Quick Getaway, Cancel an Attack, which becomes an Evade. Even Kicking the Hornet's Nest, Generate Resources, Get a Clue, and Get an Enemy. All told, there are lots of different ways in Rogue where you seem to get stuff done, but you get it done in a compound way rather than a compressed way and i think that's really great fun i i just enjoy that as a style so yeah not much more to say about breaking and entering 2 i think it's a really good upgrade obviously plays off the chuck fergus style anyway so you could make this fast and free or you can make this fast and you get plus two it's just very generous lovely next is the upgraded thieves kit previewed by playing board games three cost three xp asset Intellect and agility icons, item tool and illicit traded, uses six supplies, action, spend one supply, investigate. For this investigation, you may use agility instead of intellect, and you get plus one skill value. So a nice choice. If you succeed, gain one resource, two resources instead if you succeed by two or more. So I pay three, I pass by two or more six times, and I make 12. This is an incredibly generous three, pay three, get 12 card. Takes up a hand slot. And the flavour here is amazing. It just says, okay, fine, they're mine. If we go back to the original Thieves Kit, why do I keep these on me? Well, to be better informed regarding the unsavoury methods of art thieves, of course. Okay, fine, they're mine. Lovely upgrade flavour from the zero to the three. I just think it paints a lovely story. Really good. Yeah, this card seems to me crazy strong, crazy generous, doesn't exhaust. So if I have four actions in a turn, I play this. And then I investigate three times. If I can succeed three times, I've paid off the cost of this. If I can succeed by two or more, I've potentially made three resources as well. And yeah, just really good. Probably I'm not investigating that much in one go, but I'm still just using this as drip economy. Fits into Gregory Gry style as well, where yeah, I could be very well off very promptly. And if I'm wearing the stylish coat, 
Every time I succeed by two or more, I'm making three resources. So you're rolling in cash. It starts to make the favor, favor in <laughs> friends in low places not seem that costly to maybe draw two or three cards, spending three. And likewise with embezzled treasure, if your engine really gets rolling and you're really well off, potentially you are just going, well, hang on, I've got so much resources here and there's what banks have to make a stronger start next scenario. And I think that's cool. Second ally time, we're down to our last three cards, of which I know one, which is the underworld market. So now we have Triggerman, Alan Bednar's art. Looks really cool. It's strange to see orange art on a green road card. This is a four-cost asset for three XP, combat icon, ally and criminal, two health and one sanity, and takes up the ally slot. So kind of a bit squishy, doesn't like getting horrified. Reaction. After Triggerman enters play, attach an illicit asset from your hand to Triggerman. It is considered to be in play and under your control. Free Trigger, exhaust Triggerman and spend one resource. Resolve an action ability on attached asset without paying its action cost. Resolve that ability with a base skill value of 4. Ooh... Okay, let's get an example to get it working. I could attach the Thieves Kit to it. And now, instead of spending an action in a supply to investigate, I'm spending a resource in a supply to investigate. I'm investigating at a 5, because my base skill is considered to be 4, and I get plus 1 skill value with the Thieves Kit. And if I succeed by 2 or more, I get 2 resources, or just 1 resource. So the Trigger Man could be Thieves Kitting for me, which is nice. The thing that's jumping out to me here is you almost want to put on Trigger Man the sort of thing you're not good at. So if I'm Kaimani and I've only got a combat of two, I put a weapon on Trigger Man, such as, say, a Derringer or a Switchblade, and once a turn I get to use that weapon, spending a resource rather than spending an action, and I essentially get a plus two to my skill because my base goes up. Likewise, were I to put uh, lockpicks, I don't think works, but even say damning testimony, no, I wouldn't be able to do that because it's not illicit, or is it? It's item, yeah, it's item illicit. So I could put damning testimony on trigger man, and the trigger man could be running around with the damning testimony. I feel like with the name, it's trying to encourage me to put weapons on trigger man, but yeah, I could be putting other illicit things on it. Flavor, total win for me. Love it. Really interesting. Obviously very competitive slot and very competitive at 3 XP, but really cool. In practice, seems somewhat fiddly to me, but I don't mind that. I think there's there's a rogue deck out there that has hidden pockets with things full of illicit. It has a trigger man carrying something with illicit. It's all illicit stuff. So yeah. And speaking of illicit, the next card is the Underworld Market. This is a 2 cost, no, 2 XP null cost asset. And it's null cost because it's permanent and it's not 2 XP. It's 4 XP because it's exceptional and you get plus 10 deck size. It's connection and illicit traded. Two reaction abilities. The first is before drawing your opening hand, choose 10 illicit cards from your deck, shuffle them together and place them next to Underworld Market as your market deck. And there's another reaction at the start of your turn. Reveal the top two cards of your market deck. You may spend one resource to draw one of them. Place the rest on the bottom in any order. Well, rogues are going to need to be rich, aren't they? Because in theory, they're drawing a card a turn from Underworld Market. And they're drawing cards from friends in low places. And maybe spending resources on Honed Instinct. Maybe putting them on Embezzled Treasure. We've seen lots of ways of adding, of spending your resources on things in this set. And I really like it. So it makes sense to me that you might be wearing your stylish coat to get extra resources. You might be smashing your thieves kit tests to make extra resources. You might even be kicking the hornet's nest to go and fetch a really big enemy to make even more resources. Because you're going to be spending them on lots of things. It makes sense to me. This card was previewed by playing board games. I think it was a really fun preview and I think it's a really cool card. I really like the thing I think that really jumps out to me is that you get to choose 10. So you could have more than 10 Alyssa in your deck. 
and you're picking and choosing what you want to put in the market deck each scenario. Maybe there's a certain scenario where you don't need weapons and you put your illicit weapons into the market deck and ignore them. But also because you see two cards a turn from the market deck, you will see anything within five turns. If you're putting, say, all your lockpicks, all your thieves' kit in there, it's possible that you won't see any for the first three turns. Those four cards will be stuck at the bottom, but you will see them on turns four and five, and then you just need to be ready to draw them. So yeah, there's some kind of balancing act to be done around what you put there or not. So damning testimony, elicit. Disguise, elicit. Embezzled treasure, elicit. Thieves get elicit. Hidden pocket, elicit. I'll take that elicit when you've had enough elicits straight away there. And then the upgraded, oh, dirty fighting elicit and the upgraded thieves kit. We have enough elicit just there to make an elicit deck, to make an underworld deck. But there's also obviously lots more elicit out there as well. I think it's such a nice boost to the elicit style. I really can't wait to do an elicit deck with someone. Not sure who, probably Finn. He can put his signatures in here as well. So yeah, it's really nice. I just think it it is a really cool change up to how illicit works that isn't simply oh your illicit cards get plus one or something like that and shout out to fence which of course reduces the cost or makes them fast if they're already illicit which is good is that right no if they're fast it reduces the cost otherwise it makes them fast final card also not 5xp no 5xp for rogues either oh it makes sense doesn't it because there's the customizables this is Clean Sneak. This looks like Trish to me. It's another Lin Xiang art. Zero cost 4xp double agility icons. Gambit and Trick. There's that Gambit trait again. Fast. Play only during your turn. For each exhausted non-swarm enemy at your location, choose a different option. Gain two resources. Deal two damage to that enemy. Discover one clue at your location. Draw one card. Huh. Okay, how many enemies can you get that are exhausted at your location? Potentially with Disguise, you're keeping enemies exhausted for longer time. I imagine I wouldn't play this in solo because the power of this card is getting multiple things to fire. And if there's only one enemy, paying 4 XP for one of those options doesn't seem good. What would be good is paying 4 XP and a zero cost card to get two minimum. Really, it needs to be three options for it to be good. So I think this is a bit of a trick card that you want three or four options to land for it to be good. As soon as we go to multiplayer, there could be three enemies hanging around, particularly, as I say, if one of them you're evading for multiple turns with disguise or with a slip away. At that point, it seems easier to trigger. Weirdly enough, one of the options here, deal two damage to that enemy, is in itself not helping you trigger other clean sneaks because you're then killing an enemy potentially. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I like it. I think it's fun. I think rogue players who can pull this off, great. And I think it's probably the centerpiece of that style of let's keep loads of enemies hanging around. So you've maybe auto-evaded an enemy as Trish You've got another enemy handcuffed. You've slipped away from another enemy. You've got them down. I think I want three to be happy with this. For two, <laughs> discovering a clue is the good one. Maybe the damage is okay, but draw one card or gain two resources doesn't feel great to me. That's the same as draw two and gain one is the same as easy mark. And that's a one XP card. And this is a four XP card. So yeah, I mean, it is fast at least but I haven't had to worry about getting enemies. And yeah, I'd want more. I feel like gain two resources and draw one card are the kickers when I've also decided I'm dealing two damage or gaining a clue. Curious ending. I feel like, like the Mystic cards, there is a real vision developing of a deck here. There's actually two, I think. One of the decks is the Illicit deck. The centerpiece of that deck is Underworld Market. And then probably you're using Trigger Man, Thieves Kit, Dirty Fighting, and that's part of your mixture. The other deck in here, there's a sort of tactic trick gambit deck with Honed Instinct, 
and friends in low places and you're drawing the cards you need and you're being pretty quick. Maybe you're playing a quick getaway to evade enemies. You're getting extra actions and that is a different style, I think. And that looks quite enticing as well. So here ends my rogue first look for the rogue cards for the Scarlet Keys Investigator expansion for players. I hope you've enjoyed this first look. Five down, one to go. And the last one will be Survivor. So we won't be using the random number generator. And we'll be taking a look at Daryl Simmons and the Survivor cards. A couple of dilemmas for how I'm going to handle that. But there we go. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can contact me on drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Designed by Humans, and Patreon. And thank you so much to all the people who've become patrons of the cast and supported it. I really appreciate it. And it's allowed me to do things like talking my voice until it's hoarse, looking at all of these new cards. So I really hope you enjoy them. Thanks for listening. Bye.